We, we do expect to be fed by it, right? That's what he just prayed. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership up here and for those songs. Um, <clears throat> yet not I, but Christ in me. Yet not I, but Christ through me. Yet not I, but Christ. And I'm just thinking to myself that those maybe are the best words that any of us could ever possibly utter. I I don't know. You think through that a little bit. Maybe that's something to chew on later. But it seems to me to be true, yet not I, but Christ. Right? That's what we're looking at. We're looking at him this morning. And we're into the book of John now. And uh, we're going to be looking at the balance of chapter 1. It's going to be good. Uh, But before you turn there, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. John does something interesting in pretty much, almost, I want to say almost at least, every book that he writes uh, in in the Bible. And John certainly is a good example of this. Uh, He does it in 1 John. And he's going to do it in the book of Revelation as well. Uh, but that what he does is he tells us the purpose with which he's writing. Okay? And so he tells us this purpose, and he's going to do it in the Gospel of John, this current book, in chapter 20. And it says this, in verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I love that. Don't you love that? Um, Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. And he does something a little bit different there, literarily. He does something a little bit different. Rather than ask the question, well, who is Jesus? He keeps asking different questions such as, who is the Christ? And then answers those questions, every question, repeatedly, relentlessly, with the name and the person of Jesus Christ. Who is this? Who says that? Who is doing these sorts of things in our midst? Who means that by, you know, the mission that he's been commissioned with by God? You know, all of those sorts of questions And so he steps into our world at the incarnation. And he's dwelling with us now in his ministry. And the answer to all of that is the person of Jesus who is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Okay, and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of steal John's particular framework, and we're going to make our way through the texts today and just keep asking that question. Well, who is it, after all, that John is pointing to, John the Baptist? And who is it that is saying these sorts of things to the disciples whom he's choosing and to us? And we're just going to keep answering that with the name and the person of Christ, Jesus. 
who is the Christ, okay? So that's kind of where we're headed today. Uh, I want to read this verse one more time to you, though, in 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember in John 6? Who is it? At the end of the day, who is the only one who, spiritually speaking and physically speaking, feeds us? Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Just before that, he says, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal So go ahead and work for that food that I'm going to give you because it's going to become eternal. It's going to feed you forever. Who is it that feeds us forever? Jesus. It's going to go on there in the book of John. We're going to be covering all this stuff over the course of the next year. Who is it, ultimately, in an overarching sense, who shepherds our souls Jesus. He says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus. Who's the good shepherd? Jesus. It goes on from there in John chapter 11. You remember that? Where Lazarus is raised back to life again. We're going to be covering all this stuff in in months to come, weeks and months to come. But in that chapter, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who's the resurrection and the life? Jesus. Last week we had that reminder at our church-wide baptism, and we're citing texts like Romans chapter 6, and and here, and here we have it in front of us. Uh, this, this outward expression of an inward reality and people are coming up out of the water, death raised to new life. It's not that they're becoming saved in that moment. It's that they've been saved and now they want the world to know. They want us to know. Let the word go forth. I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. And I want to just be with him, serve him, love him, Always. John chapter 11, and then in John 14. I don't want to really just stand here this morning and with us all together, uh, can we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, right? Can I just get an amen? amen? Yeah, because he says there in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life And no man or woman can get to the Father except he or she come through me. I'm the only way. Who is the only way to God? Who is the only way to heaven? Jesus. So I'm just trying to kind of get us up to speed here. What we're going to do now, turn to chapter 1. And we're going to look at that chapter starting in verse 19. I'm just going to read through the text this morning and be asking those sorts of questions. The answer to which is going to be Jesus every time. 
So, turn back to John chapter 1. And we'll start reading in verse 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I mean, he's leaving no doubt about what he's about to say. I am not the Christ. (laughs) He's not even answering the question, is he? They're asking him, who are you? And he starts, by he's going to tell them, he's going to tell us who he is. But the first thing out of his mouth is not, okay, well, let me, this is who I am, and let me tell you a little bit about myself. That's not the first thing out of his mouth. The first thing out of his mouth when asked, who are you, is I am not. Because he wants to be so safe. Here's the one thing you cannot afford to do is confuse, no matter how great you think I am, you cannot afford to confuse me with this one. And so let me start that way and just say, I am not the Christ. Now I'm going to say some other things about myself. But let's just have that understood. Let's have that be foundational in this discussion. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? You know, <laughs> who are you? Are you Elijah? They had kind of Old Testament prophetic reasons for asking him about Elijah. And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. He said, well, are you the prophet? They had Old Testament reasons, again, you know, back book of Deuteronomy, for asking, well, are you the prophet? You know, we know that this prophet is going to come. He said, no, I'm not him. So they said to him, well, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. You know, don't send us back empty-handed. You know, we've been authorized to come and do this investigation, and we want to go back and have a legitimate answer. And so, what do you say about yourself? And this is what he says. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Straight out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. Then that's a big deal. I mean, th- th- there was going to be this voice who was going to come and precede the arrival of Christ who is going to announce and let us know, let the people know that, yep, he's right on my heels. Here he comes. But I'm just the voice. And you need to know that, relatively speaking, for as uh, power-packed, maybe doctrinally, as that idea may be to you, that I am the voice. <laughs> you know? I don't add up to a whole lot when compared to him. And John is going to make sure that we understand that here in just a few verses. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. You talk about a a statement that has to do with worth. This isn't... um, false deprecation. This isn't false humility. 
John is just wanting to be so careful that we would understand, that his readers would know that you, you, you can't compare me to Jesus. He, he, he is the incomparable one. And so when it comes right down to it, I can't even do kind of a menial task. You know, in ancient Israel, you step in and, you know, your feet are all grimy and you got your sandals and, you know what, your feet are disgusting. So you go ahead and you worry about your own feet, but I'm hardly going to worry about your feet for you. That's why you see these different episodes in the gospel so often of the feet being washed and so forth. And what an expression of love it is to see that happen. But John here is saying, I couldn't even do something that gross for this man because he is so far beyond me. I'm not worthy to do even that. So an expression about worth. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So, John, and in that first paragraph that we're looking at in chapter one right now, just the idea where he says, I am not the Christ. It's not me. It's not me. And by the way, it's not you either, Nate. (laughs) You know? It's not any of us as individuals either. It's not any man, it's not any woman. Be very careful here and say it's not Trent Thompson, it's not Dan Spino, it's not Ryan Keith, or any of the guys who are blessed to be able to preach up here. It's not this church. This church is not the Savior. Although it's such a blessed church by the Savior. God said in Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. Apart from me, there is no Savior. So, John the Baptist gets it, and he says, it's not me. By the way, just as we're working our way through here, um, I know it, it might be a little bit confusing, but you might have to make the distinction Uh, Now and then in the text and throughout the whole book, uh, but especially here early on, we're still talking about John the Baptist. There's a difference between John, who is the disciple, the beloved disciple of Jesus, and also an apostle. He's the author of this book, but now that John is talking about this John, who is John the Baptist. Two different Johns, so just so that you understand uh, that you might have to make that distinction. This is John the Baptist now we're hearing from in John chapter 1, which John the disciple is writing. Okay. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I have to use this phrase because I liked it so much two weeks ago when Trent used it. He he said, uh, John chapters 1 to 18 are a tour de force of Christology. I was like, yeah, man, that just sums it up. And it's true, it is, 
you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, John 1.1. Love it. That's true. But now, here, all of a sudden, what's going on? John the Baptist is saying, I've written about him, but now there he is. Look, see him. He's arrived. He's going to dwell among us now. Now he's lived, you know, here on the planet for about 30 years or so. But this is the advent of his ministry. Now he's going to be engaging what he really came for. And we get to see it. We get to see him. And it's so sweet. And this is how he starts by describing. He says, you know, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, behold, look, look, look at him. And the Lamb of God. So do you remember... Uh, Isaiah 53, Isaiah chapter 53, and where it says, talking about the suffering servant and talking about Jesus and what's forecast for him in his life. And it describes him as a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That lamb. Who is that lamb? Jesus. And only Jesus. That scene's going to get played out. It's going to come true. In Mark 14, we read about it. And they're going to bring one after another, false witness after false witness, saying the most outlandish things about Jesus. Jesus is standing right there, and it says that he remains silent. He just remained silent and he did not open his mouth until finally the chief priest comes and the chief priest says, I've had enough. I want you to say to me, are you the Christ? And at that point, Jesus in Mark chapter 14 says, I am. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You know, I think back into, I don't know, I try to, whether it's movies or something I've seen or read or something, you know, where, where the tables are so radically, drastically, suddenly turned, and I can't come up with anything to illustrate that. I mean, you just have to kind of embrace that idea that there was Jesus, the Lamb, and that's how we responded. You know, there at his, on the brink of his crucifixion. That lamb. That lamb. Or in Revelation 5, you know, it says that John, who's the same writer of our book that we're looking at today, and, and John is writing Revelation, he's having this vision and it says that he weeps and weeps because there's no one who can be found to step up and to kind of take the scroll out of the hand of God, slit the seals, 
and see the will of God enacted. And that's breaking John's heart there in, in, in Revelation 5. And, but then he says, but then I looked and it seemed like right there in the center of the throne room, almost in the center of the throne itself, there was this lamb, th- th- this lamb but who was also kind of a lion. And this lamb came and, and he was able. The challenge had gone out to the whole universe. You know, this angel had announced it, if anyone's worthy, and no one responded, but Jesus was already there as the lamb. Who is that lamb? Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That lamb And then even over into chapter 6, Revelation. You know, we we, we had, uh, two two weeks ago, we had 12 men from the church, and and we went up north. We did what we call a wilderness discipleship intensive, meant for guys to just have a solo experience of maybe uh, two, three hours, uh, but to connect and reconnect with, with God. But on that trip, uh, what we end up doing is doing some pretty cool hiking, and we did some caving uh, this time around. We're deep into the mountain there uh, at at, at Chimney Mountain. We all turn our our lights off, and you can't see the hand in front of your face, but we're all kind of packed into this little tiny antechamber, you know, that's way into the mountain. And right then and there, what comes to my mind virtually every time is this text in Revelation 6, right at the very end, where it says that the people of the earth in the last day will flee into those sorts of places, caves in the earth, and that they will cry out, scream for the mountains to collapse upon them. An earthquake while you're caving they will, they will do that in order to, to feel like they're being shielded from the wrath of the Lamb. What? That Lamb. Isaiah 53, Mark 14, Revelation 5, Revelation 6. That Lamb. Who is that Lamb? Jesus. And a beautiful thing He's not just a lamb, he is God's lamb. He is the only lamb that God has provided and he is perfectly sufficient. He's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world that he is able with his sacrifice to deal with morality universally. He is able with his sacrifice to deal with humanity, you know, the world, universally. He takes away the sin of the world, it says. Powerful. So these are the things that John is saying about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Jesus, eternal. John, 
created. Jesus, creator. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That he might be revealed. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. You know, there, there's, a, there's another thing. Yeah. John, who is it that you saw the dove descend upon? You know, who is it that, you know, you, there, there you are, and, you know, behold, this is my son in, in whom I am well pleased. Who is it? It's Jesus. So the Spirit descends and Jesus is identified as the Son of God. But the Spirit also remains that he's uh, fortified. That the Spirit will be there to support him the duration of his ministry. And when he goes, he says that he also sends. So that the Spirit comes and the Spirit is with us. And thank God he indwells us. And we have the opportunity to walk with his strength, hour by hour. Because here he is. He's in me. So we're grateful for that. Uh, Verse 33 says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, I saw that happen with my own eyes And so I borne witness that this is the Son of God. Into the next paragraph, verse 35. Now Jesus is going to begin to call some of his disciples. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Here he is again. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Who is it that asks that kind of question of each of us, not just these guys? What are you seeking at the end of the day, in your heart of hearts, in the dead of night, The stuff only you know about you. What are you seeking? And Jesus is asking that question because he really cares about the answer. Um, You know, Kim and I will talk, and I want to say that recently in one of our staff meetings that we had heard that the number one disease they're saying now in our country is the disease of loneliness. And I want to say that, you know, perhaps there's folks here and you don't feel that lonely today and so maybe that's in one ear and out the other. But I got to believe that there's folks in the room who if the truth be told, you fight that. You fight with that. You fight against that in your life. 
And here is Jesus saying, I want to know you, I want to know what you're after, but I also want to live with you. And so that's why he's about to say, and in fact does say, come and you will see. I want you. And these guys here who are hearing him say that, they get it. That's why after he asks them, what are you seeking? It says, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? See, they get it. They're not asking for, um, you know, please, uh, you know, define for us a new philosophy of religion. And they're not even saying, please articulate uh, some sort of a mission that we can be a part of and really feel good about. They're just saying, no, just tell us where you're staying. All I want to do is just be around you. That's all we want. That's all we want. Who is it that asks that kind of question? What do you really want in life? Jesus. Who is it that says to us, come and you will see Jesus? Jesus. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know, gotta love Andrew because he, you know, he gets described this way throughout the Gospels that he's the one who's always bringing other people to Jesus. And I love that about him. You know, wouldn't you like to be more like that? I would like to be more like that, you know. I would like to have the more faith in my own heart and mind in Christ to be able to entrust people to Jesus. That I can pass, you know, regardless of what their view of him happens to be in the moment, I can still trust him to take care of them, whomever they may be. I want more of that kind of faith. I want to be more like Andrew. Anyway, that's just a little bit of an aside. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Uh, There's a lot there, a lot of stuff to unpack and history of the church and so forth. We don't have time for that today. I'm guessing that some of that is probably coming by the time we get to chapter 21 anyway. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Who is it that finds you? Who is it that finds you? It says here that he found Philip. Are you at a point in your life where you need to be found? He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael 
and said to him, we have found him. You know, so maybe Philip has taken a little bit of credit there. Uh, I don't know if that was his, uh, if that was the wisest way to put it, but nevertheless, that's how he said it to Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Nazareth is such a dump. <laughs> I mean, it's got nothing going for it. You, you know, Nazareth, that it's... Um, yeah, it's just kind of tucked away up in the hills in the middle of the Galilee somewhere, I think. I've never even been there. You know, whatever. Can anything good come from a place like that? It's not the, uh, the lakefront property over there in the Sea of Galilee. You know, you've got Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin and these other towns over there. Yeah, I'd love to live over there, you know, and to get to fish every day. <laughs> it's not down south, you know, and the and the tribal lands of Judah and Jerusalem and the holy city. It's not even down in the valley of Jezreel where we could, you know, live and maybe have a better subsistence for ourselves, you know, and become farmers and, and, and grow more crops. It's just Nazareth. It's a dump. <laughs> Jesus, we're about to find out, heard him say that about his hometown. <laughs> Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who is it that bears with us in our ignorance? Who is it who is so patient with us when we say stupid things? Jesus. Philip said to him, come and see. Just come, just come on. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus is actually praising this quality of Nathanael for being just straight up, straightforward, a straight shooter, blunt even. Actually praising that. So who is it that receives that kind of a potentially overly direct approach from us. Who is it that even praises that sort of honesty? That sort of, okay, let's just cut to the chase here. You know, the rubber just hit the road, you know, whatever you want to say to describe that. But who is it who welcomes that, even praises that kind of honest interaction with himself, Jesus? Don't have to sugarcoat it. Just be honest. Jesus welcomes that. So Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him. You know, but, but let, let me read that again. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? That's probably a little bit more of what it sounded like, the attitude behind the question when Nathaniel first asked it. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, 
I saw you. You know, we can rationalize that way. We can kind of look at that and maybe flip some things around and figure out that, well, Jesus must have had a spy so that he could have figured that out. But that's not how Nathaniel took it. Nathaniel immediately says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. In other words, miracle, miracle that you saw me under that tree. And yeah, okay, I realize now that if you saw me under the tree, you probably would have heard what I said about Nazareth too, you know? You're the son of God, you're the king of Israel, because I know that you've seen me. It would have been the last Sunday of last year and we were here and we were talking about Hagar, beautiful Hagar, you know, this woman who, you know, is, is spurned by her mistress and sent packing. She's all alone. She's on the road to Shur and it says the angel of the Lord showed up to take care of her. She was alone. And the angel of the Lord who... I said at that time, I would still say this absolutely, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate visitation, what they call in theological circles a, a Christophany. He showed up and he met her need. He showed up personally. He was there for her. And, and she, she's there with him and she ends up summarizing that encounter at the end of Genesis 16 by saying, you are the God who sees and I have seen, I have seen the one who looks after me. And now Nathaniel's saying that. However many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, he's saying that about the same God who never changes. He's saying that about the exact same God, and he's saying that, by the way, about the exact same person, Jesus Christ, Nathaniel is. You have seen me. Yep, just like Hagar said, you are the God who sees. Praise God. You are the God who sees and sees perfectly, you're the God who sees and sees forever. You're the God who asks me questions that no one else asks me. You're the God who wants to provide for me a perfectly safe place to live forever. You're the God who comes and finds me you're the God who still loves me and welcomes me even when I'm acting a little bit foolish. You're the God who always sees me perfectly for who I am, where I'm at, what I need, and you're committed to me, not because of anything I bring into the relationship, but because of Jesus Christ committed to me. And so how does that make you feel? Not just think. 
not just looking for intellectual assent right about now, but how does that make you feel to know that that lamb, that son of God, that son of man, that Christ, whose name is Jesus, wants that with you. Let's go ahead and pray, and we can maybe each ask ourselves that question. So, Father, we see these things to be true about your son, Jesus. We thank you and praise you that he is the exact representation of your being and the radiance of your glory. And so we know, Father, that this isn't just the heart of Jesus. This is your heart. Our Father's heart is to be this way toward everyone in the room. We don't want to just acknowledge that, Father. We want to say humbly, even carefully, but we want to say, give me that. Give me more of that. I need you. I don't just need what you feed me. I need you. I need you, Jesus. And Father, for those of us who are walking closer with you right now, who are inside that saving relationship with you already, just be prompting us to pray for the others around us. But minister to every heart right now in the moment, Father, we pray.